So we've um, got some really cool stuff going down with our Facebook group. I don't know if you've seen, but it's really coming alive. We're creeping up to 100 members in there talking all about being a, a fundy teeny bother. Yeah, and that's great. We're we, we're growing the congregation, you might say, um, but <laughs> what I guess, <laughs> or maybe not. But look, it is good, and it's been there's been some really good conversations with people. And look, some people you are still engaged and very much in the faith. Uh, some people aren't, and there's all in between. So it's really been good to see people interacting and lots of different flavors happening there. I'm loving it. Yeah, and there's a lot of really fun stuff coming up in that group too, um, which I think would be great talking points. Um, but there's some names, you know, preacher names, you know, Christian mm. pop star names, all that sort of stuff's coming along. And there's people that are lurking, right? So they're not getting into it. They're just there and they're just watching. So we just want to encourage people to yeah. to come along and be a part of that, even if it's just to lurk. But on that note, someone else who's part of the group, who is our guest tonight, I might hand over to you, B, and you can tell everyone who we've got i'm a bit excited we're incredibly excited about this one so uh we have with us anthony van brown which we have been uh definitely putting out there on socials and tweeting it and on facebook and all those other mediums that you know t is really the, the king of let's be honest uh anthony wrote a best-selling book back in 2004 called a life of unlearning a journey to find the truth so we're going to find out some of those truths tonight so it's exciting time so Anthony, I'm just going to hand over to you. You tell us a little about a little bit about yourself. Who are you? First of all, I should say that I feel incredibly honoured to be your first guest on your amazing podcast. Yay! You popped out podcast, Cherry. It's amazing. And, and, uh, <laughs> listen, Cherry, listen. did you say? Goodness yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> Uh, that um, also, I've, I've listened to a number of your um, podcasts already in your conversations, and I just want to say that I love what you guys are doing. I like the spirit of it. I think that this is a place where people can find healing and resolution as opposed to being further traumatized. So good on you. Thank now, you. about me. About you. Tell us. Who well, are you know, you? a lot of people would, uh, and some people, listening to this would know me as Tony Van Brown. That I, I knew you as Tony Van Brown first. I, I, look, I, Tony, I think it was about 1989 when I first saw you speak mm-hmm. a while ago. Was it my yeah, I knew you as Tony Van Brown too when you were disparaging the Muppets in about 91. Yeah, that Tony. was me. Yeah, yeah, and no, no, I think I uh, I have said this on online that um and in a previous episode that I went to I think it was one your evangelism, uh maybe a, a seminar or something like that and I bought a tape set which was about Star Wars and its connection to the New Age and I was destroyed by that Tony because you know it ruined Star Wars for you but you know if you read his book you'll know that it was um a <laughs> Sunday sermon maybe mm-hmm. twice on Sunday, followed by a two-day um, Every Believer Evangelism workshop, which I did exactly that. I went along and... Did you? Yeah. Got all Look, strong I, in my faith. I, I do encourage people to read the book. And before we get into you telling us a little bit about yourself, Anthony, and, and where you've been, where you come from, and we'll eventually get to, to where things are now, I encourage people to read the book. Like, it's... um. 
I think people will be able to relate on many levels and be able to, particularly around some of that stuff that we've spoken about in previous podcasts about, I guess, the church may be being a bit of an ungraceful space. Um, and I think it will help people to sort of grapple with some of that and and. Some of that thing that uh, I guess we've tried to concentrate on is more of a healing um, environment. We don't, you know, we don't want to get dug down and stuck in that bitterness. We want to be able to find ways forward and help people to find ways forward and contextualise that stuff from back then. Exactly right. Exactly right. And we've paid all this money to fly him here tonight. So <laughs> over to you, Anthony Ben Brown. Who are you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, uh, people who knew me as Tony Ben Brown would have known me during my preaching days, which were predominantly in the 70s, late mid 70s to um, 1991 was when I actually resigned. Um, I did a name change um, in 1999 because I had had such a profound change in my life. I didn't really feel I was Tony Ren Brown anymore that everyone knew me as. So I went back to use my original name, Anthony. So uh, to go to give people the Reader's Digest snapshot. Um, so what I used to be was a very, very high profile preacher within the, as you call it, the great AOG. Is that what you call it? The great big AOG. The great big AOG. Um, I was ordained as an Assemblies of God preacher, but I, I pioneered churches um, and I uh, came to city and began evangelistic ministry and it just kept on growing and growing. And so I, I used to preach in all the mega churches of like Hillsong and in Melbourne, Richmond, and then, of course, Adelaide with um, Andrew Evans's Church Paradise. But, you know, that was... That was what I did. I had an open pulpit, actually, at some of those churches, you know, to go, oh, I'm free this weekend. Do you want a preacher? Um, or if I had a particular message I felt was time to deliver, um, I could talk with any of those pastors, Brian Houston or, um, yeah, Andrew Evans or or um, Phil Hills um, and also in, in, throughout, well, throughout Australia. So I was pretty well known. Um, and that was about me being a full-time evangelist, which was quite rare in those days. People had tried mm -hmm. that before unsuccessfully and gone back to pastoral ministry because of the pressures of the evangelistic itinerant ministry. Um, mm -hmm. And um, so I, had, I was one of the first in the, in the world to go through a what people have become known today as conversion therapy program. You're referring to the gay conversion therapy? Gay conversion therapy, ex-gay reparative therapy, by, yeah. by many names, but same era. <laughs> and uh, so 1971, 1971, 1972, 1972, I went through that. So that was, some people will be familiar with Exodus. So that was like four years before Exodus was founded. I'm trying to change my sexual orientation. And it was my sexual orientation that brought me into the Christian experience. And, and that's a good, uh, a good segue into that, because I, I was just going to ask a similar thing. Tell us about your journey into the Christian experience and the, the fundamentalist scene. Right. Okay. So um, we're talking 1969, beginning of 69. Actually, 1968, I was going through a horrendous time um, in my final year at high school. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I my, my sa same sex, my same sex orientation was at the fore. 
and I was struggling with it and um, I was doing things I wasn't happy with, things that were dangerous. Um, yeah. I mean, you could, you could get caught and go to jail. Mental health professionals would do all sorts of things to try and cure you. Um, and so this was very scary. And I knew two things. Number one, I should keep this a secret. And yeah. number two, I should do everything possible to try and change that. Um, and uh, the depression just, it all just got too much and I tried to um, take my life. Mm -hmm. um, and when that was discovered, then I, I went to see a psychiatrist um, and he's, you know, he listened and he took notes and he told me I was going through a stage and I just need to be closer to my dad, you know, and work on that relationship. Um, but I knew it wasn't right. I knew, I knew that was not going to be like that. And it was during the school holidays I went to a Christian camp. Okay. Now we actually, know all about that one. <laughs> we know all about these Christian camps. And actually mm. it was a, um, I went as a counsellor, like as a person who, you know, was to look after these young kids. And what I discovered was, of course, this was an evangelical thing, and they're talking about this Jesus as though he was actually still around. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I wasn't used to that. I was talking, I was used to talk about Jesus as a historical figure, you know, in the parables and the Bible stories. So it was at that camp one night, I, I just walked down to the beach alone and I cried out to God and I said, God, you know, my life is absolute mess, but if you want it, you can have it. Um, there's that. And that was, I came back from that place um yeah, on a high and felt that I had had the born again experience. So you, what around this time, you're around 17, I'm guessing, last year uh, high school? Eight, uh, yeah, just about to turn 18, 18 in March. 18 in March. So, so, so true to form, you were in fact a teenage fundamentalist. I was. Full Welcome to the show. Sydney, <laughs> Anglican, Evangelical, slipped into the Baptist. Slipped into the and so I was around in the early days of the charismatic movement, the, the very first things of the charismatic movement in Sydney, which were really fascinating, the healing service and the prayer meetings going on and speaking. All this thing was really quite new. And then there was this, then I slipped over into um, the Pentecostal world. My first Pentecostal church I went to was Petersham Assemblies of God. Okay where the ladies wore hats and gloves and the men wore suits and there was a piano and organ, there were no drums because they were demonic. It was like, oh, my God, like this is – and no sport. On, yeah, we're talking holiness, Pentecostal. So this is very different to the um, AOG or Australian Christian churches that people would be familiar with now, which essentially are, are rock bands at services and <laughs> and the like. So, you know, what, what happened there? Well – uh, what happened there was, I had a bit to do with that, but, <laughs> um, you know, the what would be fascinating would be to transport somebody from that era, from somewhere like Peter Schiffer, Assemblies of God, one of those AOG churches, into a church that you would go to today at Hillsong or any of the mega churches. They would run out of the building screaming at how... This was demonic in a devi like you know they would it is such a different contrast to what they would have known that yeah it's really fascinating those two things isn't that funny because 
I think, and I've talked to this a little bit before about the historylessness, where we we just think that you know Pentecostalism is just picked up exactly where Jesus and the disciples left off, and it's so too <laughs> it's so too with um with looking at it like this that I think most people that are involved in Pentecostalism would think, oh, it's always been this way. Mm-mm. But you're Mm-mm. saying no. Uh-uh. No, no way at all. And I've written about this, the contrast. I mean, you know, women in ministry. These days, the pastor's wife is usually a preacher as well. And, you know, you would, mm. you, posing even, you couldn't go, you could, couldn't go to university because you'd lose your faith. All, all these well, strange that, that, things. That actually wow. did happen to me, but move on, move on. <laughs> That actually did. This is true. Didn't you get the warning? Don't go to university because you lose your faith because you have to use your brain. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. So obviously that was a, a fairly trans, transformative time in the, the 1970s within the Pentecostal scene. Yeah, it was really, I mean, it was quite exciting because, you know, like, first of all, there was my conversion experience, which was really quite transformative and very exhilarating and emotional. Um, and then then there was a charismatic movement, which was a whole new world of excitement and healings and prophecies and speaking in tongues. And then the convention started and the numbers grew and, you know, so. But all the time, of course, I was battling with this thing mm-hmm. inside my, my desire to have sex with men, which yep. was not what the Bible, well, so I thought the Bible said I should be doing, and I was, yeah, battling behind the scenes with that constantly. So you carried that with you basically through through your whole journey, right? So this isn't something that you chose. It wasn't something that you decided upon. This was just who you were. Yeah, I mean, it begins, it begins about, 15, 15, the age of 15, probably. I mean, you know, when when you reach puberty, you know, you realise you're either attracted to guys or girls or you're attracted to both. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, as that sexual awakening hap- happens in the consciousness and, um, yeah, I wasn't, it wasn't happening for me for girls. And so it began there 15 and went right through my life till um, till the age of 40 when I actually finally fell in love with a guy and that was the big wake-up call to me that all those over 20 years of doing everything possible, programs, prayer and fast, you, you name it, exorcisms, I'd done it all. And here I was now, fully in love, and I was so tired. Yeah. I mean, what did that do for you? 21, 22 years of, of carrying pretending. that with you. Trying, uh, pretending. Yeah, pretending, I, I guess. How did you do that? What did you do to process that and deal with it? I think that my way of, of, of living with that was compartmentalisation. Yeah. So I'm sure there are some preachers out there which are just assholes, mm. <laughs> you know, who are deceiving and, you know, they're preaching stuff that they don't believe. I mm. wasn't one of those people. You know, yeah. I was very genuine, very sincere about what I preached and and had a high level of integrity within my ministry. For example, mm. you know, financially we were squeaky clean. Um, I saw other preachers playing you know, 
manipulating congregations and audiences and doing things on our articles, which would, yeah, not not really very good. I could never do that. When you but, saw that, did you ever confront that? Nah, nah, that no. was their stuff. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's it's interesting, like that whole um, the culture. I guess that we, we've spoken about before. You know, I mean, you, you wonder if there can be change if people aren't um, aren't challenging that, and that's not a criticism of you, Anthony. It's just I just wonder because we don't have a culture within the churches of actually being approachable to be able mm. to call call things out. How will things ever change? Well, there was also the whole touch not the Lord's anointed, right? And I, I don't know what it was like being another one of the Lord's anointed. I certainly wasn't when when I saw stuff going on. Um, and, you know, if you did uh, call people out or, or start to even, you know, and they would call it gossip because there was no formal channels, right? So you just started talking to other people. And when you did, you'd hear that, oh, touch not the Lord's anointed, brother, you know, oh, that's God's yeah. business. Yeah. And some, some of these people were my friends and peers, yeah. You know, and I saw the pushing people over and I saw, uh, no, I can't, I can't do that. So I compartmentalise this thing. As long as I am fighting this thing behind the scenes, I can keep preaching because yeah. this is really what I want to do. You know, this is, and everyone has their struggles and I've got my struggles. Yeah. Um, but there did come a point where I, I went, I'm not going to struggle with this anymore because nothing's changed. And from that point on, I couldn't preach anymore because that, to me, would have been hypocritical. So, Anthony, yeah. did you see it as like Paul's thorn in the flesh? Is that how you treated this? This was the thing to keep you humble? This was the thing or not? Um, I went through a whole range, <laughs> a collection of different beliefs trying to work out why I wasn't changing as I desired and as I prayed. Um, the thorn of the flesh was one of those things younger in my Christian experience. I, did, I adopted that for a while, trying to manage the internal conflict I was going through. Um, but after a while, I dropped that because, uh, you know, the thorn of the flesh was not necessarily a sin mm. in my book. So you, you were saying that... Sense? It, it does, yeah. Um, I guess I'm curious. You were you, you wanted to be an evangelist. What was it? What what attracted you to that evangelism, that winning people mm. over? I guess to to Jesus. I think that you, you guys would relate to this as well. That it is it is um, a sense of mission. Mm. It is a sense of calling. You feel that. God has something for me, and I'm not just going to be, and I think one of you guys have used this term, uh, a pew warmer. Yeah. <laughs> not, I'm not going to do that. My, I'd be completely sold out for Jesus, and I, I believe that I do have a calling on my life to do something. It's interesting, isn't it, in Romans, it says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Mm hmm you stuck uh, with that for life. And I think there's actually a lot of truth in that. Yeah. B because, you know, we, uh, people will often say, you're still an evangelist. I was <laughs> just going to say that. I was yeah. going to say, you, you're st still evangelical for a cause. Yeah. So, 
So if you have some natural gifts, natural abilities, there is that side of it, but then there's a vocational calling side of it. Well, that still is there, isn't it, to um, mm. uh, the natural stuff is still there and will be there for the rest of your life if you if you see if you if you desire to operate in it yeah and look at i mean when people choose a particular vocation it's usually led by the fact that they've got the heroes their inspirations who were yours leading you into that space did you have some mm. that's a good question we, we can come back to it i can't think of uh I can't think of anybody except, you know, Billy Graham, maybe. <laughs> I thought I thought you were going to say Jesus then, and I was going to slap you. But okay, Billy Graham. <laughs> yeah, I think probably, because it was. Just so what was it? What was it then, Anthony? That was attractive to you about the ministry, besides uh, the sense of like what made you think? You know, I'm going to do this as a job. I'm going to do this as a full time pursuit because of the internal reward that that you know you knew you were serving god and you know the 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 honor of doing that you know how what a blessing it is to do that and um so and that you're going to make a difference in people's lives and of course you know that we were going to save people from hell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that a sense of purpose, is. a sense of um, sense of meaning, um, actually doing good by other people. That is, you know, rescuing them, and and yeah, I mean, I can totally relate to all those things, and also the sense of you know the ultimate purpose that mm -hmm. you're working for God. I mean, there's no there's no stepping stepping up from that, is there? Oh, yeah, as an evangelist, I, be I believed in heaven and hell, you know, and, and my role was to preach the good news, which was that Jesus Christ, death on the cross, was the substitute for men's um, sin and that they would, by receiving the gift of salvation, they would not go to hell. So that's, that's what an evangelist does. I feel like I'm in your workshop again, by the way. I'm just writing all this down. <laughs> I remember there was there was hand signals. We had to make a little heart and hold it up and all this kind of stuff. No, is that a different one? Okay, maybe oh. I'm mixing things up. But you made us do little little um, gestures whilst you were helping us remember what it is that we needed to say. You know what? If I listen to the tapes again, um, that would be interesting. I, of course, I haven't I haven't gone there for when was that nineteen. 1990 would have been the last time I was there, so 30 years ago. Have you listened to anything since then, from back then? I do have some sermons that I preached at Paradise um, yeah. on DVD, and I'm, I have loaded one up on YouTube. Um, there are others that I won't load up. I'm just too embarrassed about <laughs> <laughs> so so paradise just just quickly paradise is adelaide south australia correct and is that the precursor to planet shakers or is that just not quite connected to planet shakers because i know that it's the evans boys that were involved with paradise and now doing planet shakers right right yes so so um uh, Andrew Evans, who was a superintendent of the Great Big AOG, uh, mm -hmm. was the pastor at Paradise. And, and in those days, it was 
the one of the leading mega churches, if not the le- leading mega church in Australia. Um, mm. And Ashley and um, who was the other son of Aaron? Russell? Is it Russell? Russell? Yeah, David, yeah, yeah. David was a cousin, yeah. I think. Hi guys. Oh, yeah, if you're listening. Da- David um, so, bit, yeah. So tell me though, one thing I'm really keen to know is Youth Alive, because that was a big part of my AOG experience. And you were involved in the recreation, formation, whatever you want to call it. You were you were a, a big name in that. Can you tell me about that? Let me tell you the story about Youth Alive. <laughs> oh, we can't wait. Because <laughs> I think I may have been written out of the history of this. <laughs> That's interesting. So we've, we've got a scoop, people. Just stand by for the scoop. So what happened? Here's exactly what happened: was that um, there was an organ, there was a group within Sydney Assemblies of God Churches called um, Ambassadors for Christ. Okay. Sorry, not what's it called? Christ Ambassadors was it? Christ Ambassadors. That was it. Yeah. Christ Ambassadors. That was the the combined youth organisation. And the national, the state, the, the, sorry, the, the executive of the service of God said to me, we want you to take this over and do something with it. Because you've got a good youth ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, I've just started uh, every believer evangelism. Uh, okay, I'll do that for a period of time. So I took that over and um, I we did outreaches. We... Um, you know, in a life of unlearning my autobiography, I talk about the first, <laughs> the first one that we did, and how I had youth leaders walking out and praying against me outside. <laughs> the yeah, because of the drums and the rock and roll music, which yeah. now is just part of the course. Yep. And then on the Monday morning, I got hauled before the executive to explain what I had done. And that they told me that I needed to stop this nonsense of uh, rock music and everything else. And I I don't know what happened, but I sort of um, became very strong. I said, well, you know, that's okay, but that's what I will do. And either you like it or lump it, but I'm not changing anything. Because this is what these young people need to reach so, them. So I'm going to write this down, right? Because really what you're basically saying is not only did you – start the whole youth alive thing but you started the whole demon drums thing right in in churches in in um uh in australia and dare i say it you're responsible for hillsong because that's all they do is canned lights and you know music and drums and goodness me well you know uh, that's going too far (laughs) (laughs) but you could here's what you could say is that yes, I promoted contemporary Christian music and fought against the conservatives to get it established within youth ministries and in churches. It was a huge controversy at that time. Like, you know, the national people, the national executive who hated my guts mm. um, because of what I believed and what I was doing. So, and I didn't found Youth Alive. I founded Youth Alive New South Wales. Okay. Mal Fletcher started Youth Alive in Victoria. 
and I just grabbed the name because I thought it was great, and then we connected. So then what happened was, you know, we, we got up to a point where we had the City Town Hall with 2,000 people in it. This had never, ever happened before. A big youth rally. It was incredible. Exciting days, all within 12 months. And then after a while, I realised I can't do the Every Believer Evangelism. I can't do the Youth Alive. I need to now now hand it over to somebody. And I tried to get a guy from New Zealand, uh, Paul Young's brother, Mark, to take it over. But, of course, there was no money in it. I wasn't, I wasn't being paid anything to do this. Um, I was all doing it by faith. Um, and so there's nothing to attract him financially. Um, he, and he didn't take that on. And Pat Masici was my assistant. Yeah. And I handed it over to Pat. Um, and then he took it off. And then when I resigned from the ministry, he used to say, I found, he founded Youth Alive. Mm. There were times my daughters were sitting in Youth Alive rallies and he would be introduced as the founder of Youth Alive. And my mm. daughters were feeling really hurt because they knew that my dad did that. Yeah, and not to mention, I, I, I do remember seeing Pat Mercedes speak and he used to do the sunwalk because at the time, um, yeah, instead of the Michael moonwalk. Jackson was doing the moonwalk, so he, he did the sunwalk. So, Anthony, as long as you didn't found the sunwalk, I think that that's a good thing. And, and do you remember there was a Youth Alive tape that was out and he got on there and did a rap and he said, I'm the cat yes. they all call Pat, which was pretty clever rhyming, really. Had he worked mm -hmm. Matt into that as well, I would have been really impressed. And I remember coming in. That was one of my first Youth Alive rallies, I think, um, oh, wow. where I saw him do that. And I remember sitting there, you know, coming from a, you know, club, you know, nightclubs and, you know, dancing and, the, you know, the whole bit and, um, you know, loving music like Soul to Soul and wow. um, a damp ski and this kind of stuff and just sitting there going, just looking at him, just going, this is, it. it of course, in my mind, couldn't say this out loud, just going, you're fucked. <laughs> that's just so bad you know what i mean it's like everything that's wrong with christianity just happened on that stage yeah i'm cringing what, what a bit. is the sun what's the sun walk well you know how the moonwalk michael jackson was a very smooth walking back pamper city would come and do the sun walk and and tentatively come on and, and tap around as if he was walking on the hot sun so hmm. it, was, it wasn't it was it s-o-n i thought it was s-o-n the sun walk yeah, I think there was a little bit of naff put in there. So and I think it was, unfortunately, it was just, yep. it, it was a bit embarrassing. But how did that make you feel, Anthony, that here, here you are, you've started oh, something thunder. big. You have, you've put your heart and soul into this and here's someone else taking the glory for it. Yeah, that was, that was hard to take. That was hard to take. I felt, you know, I mean, I had, at that stage when I heard of that happening, I was, I had, I had I had lots of stuff that that was one of the minor hurts compared to many of the other hurts that I'd had. So um, you know, I felt for my daughters who had to um, go through that to he to hear that on the stage, everyone cheering, you know, and and they're knowing what we had all been through and that what was actually being said was a lie was not very pleasant for them. You, you just said just then that that was one of the minor hurts. What were some of the other hurts? Tell us about mm. any of those, any of those stories. I have to just pause a moment because these are that they are the darkest days of my life. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
the first chapter of a life of unlearning is is that very day where I'm standing up in front of hundreds of people um, mm. and confessing that I've committed adultery and resigning from the ministry and giving away the very last thing that I had, which was a bit of self-respect and um, and the trauma of that um, put me in a state of shock whereby I, I cried for three weeks. Mm. Uh, so, guys, on that note, we've actually come to the end of our time. So why don't we just, as the Americans say, put a pin in it and let's pick this up in the next episode, which we're going to drop today as well. We're going to drop at the same time as we're dropping this episode. So feel free to binge this, people. Um, but I reckon we, we hang that right there and we're going to come back and we're going to talk in our next episode all about Anthony's trauma, really. And we're going to talk about how he dealt with that and, and how he moved forward and, and also about what he's doing now. How does mm -hmm. that sound, guys? Great segue. Perfect. Okay. You should right, be on fantastic. radio. <laughs> or, or maybe a podcast. All right, <laughs> so I'll see I'll see you guys in a minute and we'll see everyone else in a minute too. Sure. See ya. <laughs>